and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Now here's what you guys know. We've talked a lot about the kingdom of God this year, right? Does that sound familiar? We've talked about the kingdom. We're a company of kingdom people. Kingdom Co. is our theme for 2022. And as you look at the scripture, specifically as you look at the four gospels, you'll see Jesus talk often about the kingdom of God. In fact, when you look at the New Testament and you look at just the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are all the life and ministry of Jesus, And then you look at the rest of the New Testament and you look at Paul's letters, you look at the epistles. It's interesting how often the kingdom of God is mentioned. In the four gospels, you'll see it mentioned 126 times. But when you look at the rest of the New Testament, you only see it mentioned 34 times. It's strange, right? In just four books of the Bible, we hear the kingdom of God. They reference the kingdom of God over a hundred times. But then in the rest of the scriptures, it just is kind of spotty throughout. Why is that? Well, a major reason is because of how often Jesus talked about the kingdom of God himself. And here's the deal. If it's something that Jesus emphasized, then his church should probably emphasize it as well. Amen. But it begs the question, what is the kingdom of God? Where is the kingdom of God? And what's my role? What's your role in the kingdom of God? I want to look at two verses really quick here. Pull this apart and then we'll jump in. But in Luke 19, 11, he, Jesus's words here, he says this, the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, which is the major city, the epicenter of Judaism in the day, right? As they're nearing, it says that he tells them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. So that tells us Jesus is being intentional in his conversation to let the people he's with know the kingdom of God will not begin right away. Is that clear? Do we see that? Okay. But here's what's interesting. Just a couple chapters before, this is also a conversation Jesus had. Luke 17, verse 20 through 21. One day, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. Check this out. Just a couple chapters before. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Wait a minute. A couple chapters later, Jesus will say, to correct the impression, the kingdom of God won't begin right away, or or that it would begin right away. So it's like, Jesus, are you, you got dementia? Like, what's going on here? Are you, are you confused? Because it, it sounds like to me that you've made efforts to clarify it won't begin right away. But then you're intentional in your conversations to tell the Pharisees it's, it's happening right now. So what is it? And here's what I'd like to suggest is, is that these, Jesus isn't confused. But the kingdom of God is, uh, you know, I, I think we hear that word kingdom and we think about a palace and we think about a moat and a, a, a bridge, a wooden bridge that goes up and down. And then you have a village with a bunch of peasants and, you know, stacks of hay that they sleep under. <laughs> like you hear the, am I the only one who thinks of a knight's tale when you hear, king, when you hear kingdom? <laughs> but it's important to understand that that word kingdom in the scriptures, it's much more about reign than it is about realm. 
what that means is it's, it's much more about the rule. It's much more about who your Lord is, who you're submitted to than a geographical location. So when we, when we understand that, we, we have to remember, you know, God's purpose for the world is to save a people for himself and then renew that, the world for that people. God's heavenly kingship, his lordship is established in the earth through Jesus dying on the cross. King Jesus establishes his reign, not by giving us laws, but he deposits his spirit into us. So not only is there this calling to make him Lord and to submit ourselves to him, but he infuses us with himself to help us in that journey to establish his kingdom and his reign here on earth. So as we make Jesus Lord of his lives, his kingship implies a saving, redeeming activity um, as we believe in him, as we follow him, as we submit to him. So when Jesus prays, uh, when, when the disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray, he says, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a prayer. Father, let your reign be established here on the earth as it is in heaven. Let everything come under your reign because it's under your reign we experience your perfect and pleasing will. So this is, I know I'm throwing a lot at you here, but here's what I'd like to suggest. The kingdom of God is established in being established in two ways. If you're taking notes, first one is the kingdom of God is established now, here, and today in the hearts of those who submit themselves to the lordship of Jesus. So you and I are a part of the kingdom of God as we've submitted ourselves to Jesus. But two, how many know, yes, Jesus came, died on a cross, paid the cost for our sin. He was the way, the truth, the life, made way for us to experience eternity with him. But he's also coming back, amen? And when he comes back the second time, so as we put our faith in that, we become part of the kingdom of God. But he will also, there's a day he's coming back when he will make all things new and his reign will be completed and finalized here in the earth. And as believers, we're expectant for the coming of Christ, amen? But in the vein of the first point, we are not there yet. We eagerly and anxiously await his arrival. But in the meantime, it is about making him Lord right here and right now. So we've been in a series. We're on week five of a series we've titled Royals. And that's really what this series is about. Submitting to Jesus, his Lordship within our relationships to experience the full abundant life that Jesus has for us. So the premise of this series, it's really an exhortation to the church to cultivate kingdom-driven relationships in your, in your life, but more specifically in your home. We've dealt a lot with the home. You know, one thing I've always found interesting about Paul's letters in the scriptures is in Timothy and Titus, he lays out some standards or expectations of what a church leader should be, what their life should look like behind the scenes. How many know that to be a church leader is a high calling, right? Or at least that's what the scriptures lay out. And one of the interesting things that is a prerequisite, so to speak, to being a church leader is uh, to have your home in order. And I think that's an interesting command. If you're going to be a leader in the church, um, you need to have your home in order. I, I think that tells us two things about God specifically. The first one is that the Lord deeply cares about the conditions of our families. And he actually has a will and a desire for what those look like. He cares. But then two, as believers, okay, 
If, if God's going to give that sort of prerequisite to church leaders, if that's what it looks like to glorify God in your family and in your home, then, okay, maybe that's something we need to heed and understand. Okay, okay if that's what it looks like to glorify God, then church leader or not, that's something I'm going to adopt and something I'm going to exercise. Amen? So our whole theme for 2022 is about the kingdom and Jesus' lordship in our lives. And I quote this verse almost every single week. It's Roman 10, 9, but it says this. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, this is what it's about. Who's your Lord? Who's your king? If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That, that word for Lord there, um, let, let's take down the English word Lord. Let's put in the Greek word Kyrios. What did it mean? This is, this is the definition of that original word they used to describe if Jesus is Kyrios. The definition is he to whom a person or thing belongs about which he has power of deciding he's master, he's Lord. So maybe we've declared Jesus is Lord, but, but church, do our lives, our thoughts, our words, our, our, the way that we live, does it illustrate that we belong to Jesus, that Jesus is the decision maker and the culture creator of our lives? He's my Lord. He's who I'm submitted to. He's who I follow. He's who I love. Do we live like he's our master and he's our Lord? If we're going to be a, a company of kingdom people, he has to be. Another definition stated for that word Lord means one of who has control of the other person. Does he have control of your life, control of your heart, control of your thoughts? So the question we've asked again and again over the past few weeks is, not only is Jesus Lord of your life, but is Jesus Lord of your homes? We're trying to penetrate the home because we, we believe if, if he can become the center of the home, he'll definitely be the center of the church. Um, have we made Jesus Lord of our families? And you know, what we've discovered is that he has a clear vision, a clear desire, and a clear will for the family and what those in the kingdom with the home looks like. Okay. So I want to um, jump in today. I know that's kind of a long intro here, but I want to set the stage. Remember, so the whole series is everything we talk about is really submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. Okay. I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into this. Does that sound good? Here we go. Father, we love you so much. You're so good. Uh, you've been gracious. You've been good to us. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So Father, I just pray right now through the power of your spirit, you would till the soil of our heart, help it to receive the seed of your truth. God, we want to grow. Your word says if we just listen to your word, but we don't apply it, we're deceiving ourselves. So help us to heed your word today. Help us to not just hear it, but help us to implement it into our lives. Allow it to transform us into a company of kingdom people. Help us to make you Lord of our lives. And Father, I pray that this church would foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. Quick little plug. I pray it every week in Marchfield. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray here. Hey, March 22nd. I'm just going to say this and I'll get into the message. Uh, last time I yelled about, last time I was here, I yelled at y'all about fostering kids and all that. So you know my heart. But uh, on March 22nd, we start a foster care certification class at our Marshfield campus. So if you're interested in fostering kids, if you feel like the Lord's telling you to do it, he is. Um, he is. He is. You can contact me. My uh, email is mgriffith at destinychurch.me. 
If you're watching online, come on, time to foster some kids. Okay, you can email me at mgriffith at destinychurch.me and we'll get you signed in. Okay, hey, if you got your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. We call it the love chapter. The love chapter. Come on, it's Valentine's Day weekend. Hope y'all got some Valentine's Day plans. Quick confession time. Pastor Jason is real good at planning dates, okay? And so I uh, reached out to him and said, hey, I need a good date idea because our life, you know, in one year, somehow I ended up with three kids and my life has been nuts. So we're shipping them off with the grandparents and we're getting away in Jesus name. All right. First Corinthians 13. (laughs) Oh man. First Corinthians 13. Paul writing to the church. You know, it's first Corinthians 13. It's right after first Corinthians 12. If you've read first Corinthians 12, did you know that? Now, you know, if you've read 1 Corinthians 12, it's all about the spiritual gifts, okay? And then he goes into 1 Corinthians 14. And 1 Corinthians 14, he continues to talk about the spiritual gifts and the order, but he, but he sandwiches this chapter right between those. And I, and I think that's significant, but let's, let's read it together. This is Paul writing. I'm just reading the whole chapter. Is that cool? Yeah. If I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, if I even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Come on, I know at least three people got this tatted on them in the room. (laughs) Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love, it never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. He says prophecy, speaking in unknown languages, special knowledge, all these cool things that the Spirit of God is going to manifest in the people of the church will all become useless. But love will last forever. Now our our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the picture. But when the time of perfection comes, when Jesus comes back and makes all things new, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. And now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. When he comes back, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. What an incredible thought that God knows you and he knows me completely. It's like he's our creator or something, you know? So, so here's, here's what he talks about. 
the spirit is going to manifest. The spirit's going to give gifts to the church so the church can help one another and praise God for that. And we want to eagerly desire those things and we want to exercise those things. We want to activate those things in the body of Christ. But here's what he says. Those things are beautiful and they're a gift to the church, but they will not last forever. But here's what he says. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love is a a part of the eternal plan. Love is that foundational piece of the God that we know and serve. I would say it's love that motivates our God most. Something we have to consider here, again, is the placement of this chapter. You got to think about what's before, 1 Corinthians 12. Talks about all these spiritual gifts, and then he has 1 Corinthians 14, and it talks about the gifts of more and the order in which those were. You know, if you've read your Bible or if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, you know this is what this is what it talks about. And Paul opens up in 1 Corinthians 12 and he says, hey, I want to take some time to answer the questions you've had about some of the spiritual activity going on in the body. You know, when you read Paul's letter, it implies some things. The spirit of God is moving on people and miracles are breaking out. Healings are happening. People are speaking in other languages. People are prophesying. And, and there's, this, there's this craze. There's this buzz. It's almost as if like this is what it's become all about. He, he talks about it. He says, okay, I want to I take some time to answer your questions about the special abilities the spirit gives. That's what he says. We see it. There's wisdom and special knowledge and an extra measure of faith and healing and miracles and tongues and interpretations. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, you should desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses this incredible analogy. If you're familiar with it, you know where he compares the church in the spiritual gifts that God's given us. We've all been given a gift. That's what, that's what the scriptures tell us. And, and that gift is unique to our calling and our fit and our purpose in the body. So what he says is the church is like a human body. Right? So everyone has to play a part. If we all had the same gift, if we were all an eye, then the body would be incomplete. This is part of the reason it's imperative that we're activated into the gifts that we're eagerly seeking and desiring the gifts that he has for us because it's directly related to our role here in the body. But as, as we continue to talk about this, um, you know, uh, Paul, Paul continues to bring clarity as to why that's so important. But, but then he makes it a point to say even the weakest gifts or what seem to be the least important are sometimes the most necessary. And, and as when I, you know, we don't always think about this, but Paul saying that is, uh, it's interesting because it tells me that people have become distracted or, or maybe it's become a popularity contest or they're thinking this is what makes me most important or who's more important than who, or man, they do this. Yeah. Jimmy over there, he's healed 14 people. Can you believe that? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like, you know, and, and all of a sudden it becomes about what you can do or what you can't do or your place or who's most, most important or what's most important in the body. And all of a sudden it's like, the main thing is no longer the main thing. And, and so what's going on in, in the church in Corinth is really no different than what some of us 
are struggling with right now, what's going on in our world today. I know I got some teachers in the room. And maybe the reason you got that teaching degree is because you knew day after day you were going to spend time with kids from all different backgrounds, from all different demographics, and you looked forward to the opportunity to invest into kids each day to make an impact on them that would change the trajectory of their lives. That's why you started teaching. But you know what? Through the grind, through the grit, through the naughty kids, through the good kids, through feeling unappreciated and underpaid, you know what? Now you're just collecting a check. That's not the main thing. It's like the kid who gets on the basketball team and the main thing is the win. And he's been point guard for the last two years. But you know what? So-and-so moves in from out of town. He's a better point guard. Team's in a better position to win if if so-and-so plays point guard. But he's so sour and bitter that he's not getting play time anymore and blah, 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 blah. He doesn't even care if they don't win anymore. But this is about the team. It's about about winning. That's, That's the main thing. And and so what Paul is ensuring is, listen, the spirit of God is going to do some incredible things in you and through you. He's going to give some gifts to his body. He does do these miraculous, crazy things in and through his people, but don't get it twisted. It's not the most important thing. The miracle is not the main thing. So when you, when you understand what he's just talked about, when you come back to 1 Corinthians 13, it starts to make sense. If I could speak in all the languages of earth, you could, you could pray in tongues all day. If, if, you, if, you pray, if you speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but you didn't love others, you're a noisy gong. You're a clanging cymbal. You're nothing. Don't forget the main thing, church. This is what it's about. If I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could speak to that mountain, move in the name of Jesus and it moves, but I did not love, I am nothing. Come on, this is strong. Paul's exaggerating what will happen so you know the imperative, how important, how essential love is in the life of a believer. If you do not love, you are nothing. If you do not love, you have missed the whole mission and purpose of Jesus. This is what it's about. This is who we are. You want to be a company of kingdom people? You need to figure this love thing out. You need to prioritize it above all else. This is what we're about. We're about love. I would be nothing if I gave everything I had to the poor, sacrificed my own body. I could boast about it. But if I didn't love, I would have gained nothing. You know, in in the craze of our busy schedules and the busyness of our careers and the conflicts of everyday life, we can't forget that all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Like if you're sitting in here, you were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So if we don't understand or receive that revelation, we will live confused, wandering and searching our whole life because you've been created through someone and for someone. And that someone is our Lord and that someone is our King. And he's given us very specific instruction. He's given us very specific purpose. And and you can sum up that whole purpose with one word, to love one another. That's not one word, but you know what I'm saying, love. And the disciples, not the disciples, but um, I I think it was a Pharisee, actually. It was an expert in the law, had the same question for Jesus. Hey, what's it all about? What's the most important thing? We see it in Matthew 22, verse 35. 
One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Okay, you're healing people. You've done some cool things. But if you're so smart, if you know so much, Jesus, tell me what's the most important thing. Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second, a second that is equally as important. So these two are not separate from each other. In fact, by doing the second, I think you fully live out the first. So they have to be connected. You can't do one without the other, right? So in the second, he says, this uh, a second command, verse 39, is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, the entire law, all of its demands, you know, are, are based on these two things. So as believers, Jesus followers, as a company of kingdom people, excuse me, we prioritize loving God and loving people over everything else. But, but here's what I want to know. I can't believe it's almost 10 o'clock. I feel like I'm just getting started for real. <laughs> but here's what I wonder. You know, series is Royals is about kingdom driven relationships, but kingdom driven families, you know, Love is supposed to be the highest priority. When we reflect on what's going on in our homes, is love the highest priority of our homes? Like when our kids are home, is that where they feel most loved? When our wife comes home, is that where she feels most loved? If you're single living alone, when people come into your home, do they feel most loved when they're in your home? They should because this is who we serve. This is our call. This is what we do as kingdom people. We're masters of love. We're experts in love as Christians. Like some of you know, I I told you earlier, but in 2021, we started with no kids. January 2021, we had no kids. December of January, no, December of January. Come on, Mark. (laughs) Edit that out. Can you tell I went from zero to three? Yeah, there's some dad brain up here is what this is. You know, we finished 2021 with three kids in our home. And one of the things I love about being a dad is the opportunity to disciple my kids every single day. We got dinner last night and we talked a little bit about this. And and it's hard to teach a three-year-old and a two-year-old about Jesus and for them to comprehend, you know, all all that's going on with that. Uh, So I try to make it simple. But, you know, perfect example is one night, early on Jazzy, our oldest, she, there was a storm outside and she was so scared of the storm. She was actually shaking a little bit, a lot like uh, Abigail over there. (laughs) And so, you know what I do is I pick her up and I actually walk outside with her into the storm and she's freaking out and she's crying. And I, and I point on her chest and I say, listen, I said, Jesus lives in you. So you don't have to be scared. Like we're, we're in the storm. Jesus lives in me. Yeah. And he's going to keep you safe. I know that's not exactly how it works here, but you know what I mean? I'm, I'm trying to teach her some of the fundamentals and the principles. And I, I love the opportunity to love on these kids. There's not a night that goes by where I don't take some time with my kids and I lay hands on them. I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord protect you. May the Lord shine his face upon you, be gracious to you, show you his favor and give you peace. I prayed over my kids every single night. But I also have these moments where, 
loving my kids isn't the priority. (laughs) It ain't always like that. You know, my parents said amen. There's some times where the priority becomes, you better listen to me. The priority becomes, get to bed. It's bedtime, right? That's the priority. (laughs) We laugh, you know, but I wonder in our homes, right now, if we had a conversation with our kids or even our spouse, and we asked them, hey, what's the most important thing? Would our kids say, get good grades? You know, the time we spend on athletics or dance class might suggest our good performance is our priority. Maybe we wouldn't vocalize it, but maybe some of our actions are showing that the most important thing is the paycheck. And in the same way, prophecy and healings are are good things in the church. In the same way, academic excellence and hard work and commitment in our activities and achievement at work are all good things just for kingdom people and for kingdom families. It is not the main thing. The main thing is how we love God. And it was Jesus who said, if you love me, do what I command. Our obedience to him is an expression of our love for him. Don't forget, there's another part to that command that's equally as important, how we love others. And Paul so graciously takes the time to lay out practically what that love should look like, right? So here we go. Let's look back at our shoulders at our tat, you know, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. This is what Paul says love looks like. This is what our homes are to look like. This is what our pursuit of one another is to look like. Love is patient. And, you know, when you look at the Greek word, I'm not going to go through this with every single one, but, you know, I was just studying. What I almost did was was took every word in this. Like that was going to be my format of the message. I was going to take, okay, patient. What did, that Greek word, what did Paul mean? What was the definition of that word? You know, and, and but here's the deal. Y'all are smart. Y'all get it. And when he said love is patient and it's kind, he meant love is patient and it's kind. But, but, but that patient word is a little different. It, it means that it, it puts up with some crap. It, it hangs around. That's what it meant in the Greek, yeah, specifically. <laughs> but you know what? Something we got to learn, y'all, is, is to endure. Steve, we were talking about offense this week on Tuesday. I got offended. You're canceled. I'm out. That ain't love. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud. You know what, man? You in that spot actually gives us a better chance to win. I'm going to cheer you on. Let me know what you need. You need me to grab you water? I'll grab you water. Right? It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. This is what love is. And I just wanted to ask y'all this morning, do you, your kids, your community, do they feel like your home is the most loving environment they experience? Because to love is our greatest calling. And God bless our teachers and our daycare workers and our bosses and our pastors. But don't forget, we're the priests of our homes. 
Our homes should be so rich in love. Our kingdom families experience the greatest outpouring of love, not only in church, but in their own homes. Because our king, our master, is motivated by love. I want to finish with John 3. I appreciate y'all letting me preach long today. Took full advantage of being here in rep. But if you got your Bible, turn with me to John 3. I want to read a verses 1 through 17. I won't take a ton of time and then we'll close this thing out. You know, it was the Apostle John who wrote, um, if you don't love, you don't know God because God is love. (laughs) He personifies love. He's love manifested. So check this out. Uh, John 3, verse 1 through 17. It says this, there was a man named Nicodemus. Man, I was crying during worship, and I'm probably going to cry during this. I don't know why. I'm just believing there's an anointing on this message, and I'm believing that love is going to flood into some homes. I'm just believing that some families are going to be repaired. I'm believing some chains on some kids are going to break. Some passion is going to be restored. Some relationships are going to be healed. Do it, Lord. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi said, I can't even read because my eyes are all blurry. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? Born again? What do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back up into his mother's womb? No, 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 Nicodemus. That's not what I'm talking about. Nicodemus is confused. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher. And yet you don't understand these things. I sure you would tell you what we know and have seen. And yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the son of man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man will be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. 
So Jesus is breaking down. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And then he's going to share how that happens, how we can experience a spiritual birth. Okay. Verse 16. One of the greatest verses that's in that book. He says this. For this is how God loved the world. Everyone say love. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus says there's a kingdom. There's a heavenly kingdom of God. He says, and it's not just, it's not just physical. It's not just flesh. It's spiritual. And you need to be spiritually reborn. Because you're broken and you have sin, but there's a God who loved you so much in your mess, in your sin, in your unworthiness. He would send his son to the earth so that if we would just put our faith in him, make him king, make him Lord and follow him, he would spiritually renew us. He would make all things new within us. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whosoever believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save it through him. And, and, and so when Nicodemus has these questions, Jesus, Jesus makes it really clear. Come on, there's a, there's a kingdom of God and this is the only thing that's eternal. And he loved you so much, he sacrificed Jesus. I want you to know on the table this morning, there's an invitation into the kingdom of God. You've all been born in the room, but you need to be born again. And if you haven't put faith in Jesus to cover your sin, to cover your mess, to make you new, you will never be spiritually reborn. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.